are joined this morning, it's still morning, by Mr. Mario Andretti. First off, thanks for some time this morning, and we're going to talk a little Formula One. And uh, I know you got to watch qualifying, which just ended uh, a couple minutes ago. So what do you think of the, the new cars this year? Are you expecting a little shake-up at the uh, top of the food chain? Well, a huge shake-up, actually, so far, which is, uh, I think, uh, everything that they were hoping for, you know, with the new rules. And uh, it seemed like... Uh, it, Probably it's a little more of a level playing field, if, at least for now. <clears throat> but um, uh, I mean, I was surprised uh, to see some of, uh, you know, like for instance, uh, you know, Kevin Magnuson, you yeah, know, with, yeah. with the Haas car was right up in there, and uh, and and again, I think um, uh, all in all, uh, to see you know the Ferraris up front, you know. Uh, uh, for real, it seems like uh, uh, I think it's uh, I tweeted and I said it's all, it's always great to see the red ones up front, you yeah. know, and uh, and and you know Ferrari is always Ferrari, you know, when it comes to Formula One, uh, when they perform, I mean, it seems like the whole world comes alive, and uh, so again, uh, you know, the usual suspects are up there, of course, Red Bull and uh, and Mercedes, uh, they're always going to be there fighting, but. Um, but the, the, what we have seen so far, I think, is uh, actually uh, very interesting to see how the season develops. So, uh, good stuff. There's a lot of different takes on the new car this year. You know, Mercedes having essentially no side pods and Ferrari having the kind of big swooping side pods. Is there one that you think might work better over the course of the year? Well, if I knew, I would bottle it and sell it. <laughs> you know, it's uh, you know, this is always interesting in Formula One, where uh, you have one set of rule books, and uh, there's a, always a different interpretation by the engineers. Which that's the beauty of it. You know, that's what keeps it interesting on the technical side. And um, and you know, when the cars, even you look at the side pods, the the approach to that. <clears throat> It's so different from car to car, yet they're like, uh, you know, what, two 100s you know, apart in time. That's always been, to me, fascinating Formula One, and uh, it continues to be so. I think uh, it looks a little more like spec when you look at the rear wing, which is uh, everybody, everyone has the same thing. But uh, other than that, uh, here again, you know, the uh, Formula One engineers are like lawyers. You know, it's how you interpret the law, it's how you interpret the rule book. Um, but um, yeah, good stuff out there. Though uh, the cars really look good. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think uh, you know uh, with the new tires and bigger wheels and uh, different rims and everything, the package. You know, I'm looking at the Ferrari especially. Looks the best that I've seen it. You know, when the cars look good, they always they're always yeah. fast. You know, but um, good stuff. Good stuff out there. Very positive. So speaking of good-looking cars, I wanted to get into a little bit of the 70s era with you because now that the ground effect is becoming more important again back in F1, I wanted to hear some of your experiences coming into Lotus and in, what was it, 76, and then the ground effect car at 78, 77, 78? Well, you know, obviously that was, uh, it was a discovery that almost came by accident, if you will, uh, mainly because, um, you know, we derived, uh, I got some idea from the march, the 701 march that I drove uh, in 1970. Um, we were in South Africa testing and, uh, and because uh, the, um, you know, the elevation factor and the normally aspirated, we thought that uh, 
We tried to get rid of anything that, that, that would have frontal area. And, uh, and the march had the two uh, side pods, you know, and they were like a wing shape, you know, but they were just, uh, there was not, not fuel tanks and the only thing was aerodynamic. And uh, we thought, well, we just remove those and maybe because it's maybe more frontal area and all of a sudden I'm flying the front end, you know, and I figure, oh, you know, there's some downforce here. And that's what I put on the table when we were discussing at the end of 76, you know, with uh, the engineers and Colin, you know, and I said, uh, you know, there's something to be said for the effect that we got there. So, and, and Colin, they went on and they put uh, the much bigger section there with wing section, but with a fence, you know, to direct the air, you know, much better and, and exit behind. Uh, and 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 of course, you know that that gave us some some ground effect. However, we were testing in Hockenheim, and um, at the end of the two long straightaways, the long right hander, all of a sudden, you know, I'm finding that as the car is rolling, I was closing the gap, you know, on the left side, and all of a sudden, I picked up quite a bit of downforce in the middle and I started really going, you know, much quicker because of that. But then I said to Colin, I said, there's something to be said about closing. So he sent um, uh, one of the mechanics into town to buy some uh, plastic strips. Yeah. So we, we closed that area and all of a sudden, ah, voila, you know, something else is working. So, but then the plastic strips, you know, they wear in two laps, you know, yeah. they're gone. So, and there for a while, for a while we, we used like a, a, a brush, you know, underneath which was dragging, you know, barely, but at least giving me some consistency. And then after that, it was the moving skirts, mm -hmm. which obviously all of a sudden uh, gave us a lot more reading, better reading, and then all of a sudden you start cleaning up uh, the diffuser, which is the exit of the air. So one thing led to another. And, um, and, and, and we got it better, better. Uh, so, uh, but, but it was really fascinating, you know, to get into that area because uh, it was obviously a whole new aspect of using the aerodynamics in a racing car. You know, not just the surface that I am, but the, uh, the ground effect, which is, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's down, free downforce. But now, you know, a lot of people think, oh, okay, now, uh, this this is uh, the Formula One is using ground effects again. Well, they've had, but mm -hmm. they they uh, it got to the point in the early '80s where uh, there was even so much downforce it was almost ridiculous driving the car. Right. So tried to put it back in the driver. So they they went to uh, a flat bottom, still downforce. They always had the ground effects, mm -hmm. yeah. but now, but but um, but they were. You know, with that, obviously, to balance that, they were using a lot bigger wings, so, uh, and, and that, that's what created the turbulence more and more. So what they're trying to achieve, we're trying to achieve now is get more ground effect with tunnels, with a tunnel down for it, and, uh, and reduce some of the, the need for, for, you know, for downforce for the rear wing and so forth, which, uh, and again, uh, they cleaned up the car considerably, you know, to just, uh, uh, again, to, uh, uh, to to reduce, as I said, the turbulence, which obviously prevented the cars from, uh, from being 
to you know the running behind one another and now I've, I think it's going to open some of that up uh, I don't know if, uh, how much percentage they achieve but uh, we'll find this out you yeah. know tomorrow when 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 the race is on uh, but um, but again you know nevertheless uh, you know the technical side they're always playing trying to uh, you know to, to make the racing you know more palatable you know to Create more action, you know, uh, for overtaking, and um, and I hope they, you know, that uh, as time goes on, they can achieve that because that's what we want, you know, as spectators, as fans. Um, it, it's always a daunting job for the <laughs> the technical side, the technical committee, you know, to arrive at uh, at the proper, um, you know, solutions. But uh, but uh, everyone is working on it and. Um, uh, I could say the cars really look awesome, you know, this yeah. year. So, um, yeah, good stuff. I wanted to ask if you, when you started driving those cars with the massive ground effect, did you really have to change your driving style at all, or was it a big adjustment as it went on? Well, you know, it's always a big adjustment. I mean, uh, you hear even the comments from the drivers now uh, versus last year's car. I mean. Uh, anytime you change the characteristic of the car in any way, especially aerodynamics, which is the most powerful part of uh, you know giving the car performance, uh, and it, depending how you derive at that, you have to adapt to it, of course. And that's the trick, and that's the challenge, you know, for a driver to be able to just really understand what the car actually wants, and then uh, you know and maximize uh, what the car. Can give you type of thing so uh, and that's something that again uh, it's been there forever you know uh, from a driver standpoint and some adapt uh, easier than others you know which is a natural thing and those are the ones that obviously yeah you know we just heard a comment between uh, Charles Leclerc and uh, Carlos Sainz yeah. you know Carlos Sainz is for some reason I'm not getting it, you know, I'm like within a couple of tenths or maybe sometime a half a second, which, you know, is driving him crazy, but uh, you'll figure out with some drivers, you can see, figure out a little sooner than others, but, um, you know, that's the beauty about the sport, you know, it's just, uh, you know, it's all about the individual and, and how you deal with it, um, you know, the challenge is all over the place. <laughs> so... On the new cars, you know, we might see an Andretti entry in the next few years, and kind of Colton Herta has been talked about as somebody who is, you know, could be really successful over there. What, as a driver, makes Colton Herta so adaptable to? I mean, really, every IndyCar he's driven, Indy Lights, and maybe Formula One, he all he he just adapts quickly, and he's up to speed. You know, he was fourth or fifth quickest this morning here, at third third here at Texas this morning. So, what makes him so good at what he does? Well, here again, I mean, uh, he demonstrated uh, the, the ability immediately going through the ranks. I mean, uh, yeah. everywhere that he has been, he's been right at the top. And, uh, and again, that always tells you something uh, about the individual. And uh, when he finally arrived at the top level of IndyCars, uh, I mean, being the youngest driver to uh, ever win an IndyCar race and how he won it and... And not only that, but the subsequent races, he won every race on speed, yeah. not strategy, not fuel mileage, not any of that. And and, and I mean, uh, without making any mistakes, I mean, you got to go in and out of the pits, you got to do all those things. And if any mistakes are made by the pits, you know, you know, the, the 
you know, that <laughs> the guys are giving him service, if anything, but not him. And, uh, and again, that to me spells championship quality, but also uh, put him where he, he wants to go. And, uh, you know, t for many drivers, uh, the ultimate goal is always Formula One. You know, it's faces, it's the, uh, any way you look at it, it's the Olympics of motorsports, you know. So uh, that's the way I looked at it myself. And uh, I derived tremendous satisfaction out of uh, uh, Indy cars and everything that. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. I've driven here, but uh, like I said, uh, for me, uh, it was just another notch, and and, and um, you know, to, to get into Formula One, and 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 to get with obviously to get with the team that uh, can give you the, sure. the equipment to be able to perform. That's the other trick, obviously, because uh, um, you know you need you need you need the equipment that's capable. And uh, but uh, going back to Colton. Um, my money is on that kid. I mean, I tell you what, he uh, he has shown over and over. I just love his demeanor, and um, and the fact that he really, really wants to. I know that his desire to be there is also huge because you need that first and foremost, you know, to be able to perform and get it done. And uh, so uh, I just want to see him there sooner than later. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I guess I had one more question about the possible tracks we could see F1 going to. If you had to pick maybe some one of the older tracks that F1 had raced on, I know they're thinking about adding some venues in the United States, but if you had your pick, you know, would it be fun to see uh, F1 go back to Long Beach? I doubt we'll ever see that, but would it be cool? Or Watkins Glen or something like Detroit? Well, I'd like to see Formula One actually uh, on, on a... Uh, not on... 
not on this just uh, um, I like to see Formula One in the Premier League yeah, yeah. because that spells future I mean we've seen Formula One here after they left Watkins Glen being a gypsy mm-hmm. everywhere you know Long Beach a couple of years then you know then they go to Dallas then they went to Phoenix they were, but it was uh, just the fact it was temporary it's just temporary now the fact that we have Coda now mm-hmm. obviously spells you know future you sell the future and um, yeah I mean uh, we love Watkins Glen would be great, but Watkins Glen, you know, the facility is not up to the level, you know, to host Formula One, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I don't think we have, uh, other than, uh, um, you know, uh, Coda, I don't, I don't think we have an acceptable facility for Formula One yet here in the United States. Uh, Miami, obviously, uh, that's going to be one. And even though it's uh, labeled as a temporary course, uh, the the investment that's going in there is for the future. You know, it's solid. And so um, I'd love to see that that commitment. Um, You know, and uh, this talk about Las Vegas, uh, and uh, I, you know, uh, I just that if they do something in Vegas, I hope it's permanent because uh, there, there's, well, <laughs> that's the point. I mean, uh, to me, Vegas is too much uh, glitz and glam, glamour about other things. And, and I like to see a racetrack to be actually main event also, mm-hmm. yeah. not just another thing that probably we could do away with the year, the year after. So, um, but uh, the investment that we have, of course, you know, with Coda and, and, uh, in Miami, I know that uh, for the foreseeable future, uh, I think that we have two at least solid events here in the U.S., and uh, that's huge. That's 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 great for Formula One and great for us that we love Formula One. You know? All right, last question: the F1 champion in 2022 will be which driver? <laughs> uh, I tell you, right now, actually. Uh, my my uh, my what you call the thing is very foggy. My crystal ball. My crystal ball is very foggy. That's totally fair, uh, understandable, and we'll we'll wrap it there. Mario, thanks for the time this morning. It's been a pleasure, and uh, look forward to seeing the Andretti clan hopefully in F one soon. Yes, we are too. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.